Hooray for Hollywood, starring Tom Johnson and hosted by Modern Times Magazine, the podcast featuring the backbone of the California film industry. And now, here's Tom. Hey, uh, welcome to Hooray for Hollywood today, and uh, we'd like to welcome to the podcast industry veteran Howard Michael Gould. He's, uh, he's a friend of mine from Los Angeles, a great guy. Uh, Howard graduated from Amherst College and spent five years working on Madison Avenue, winning, in the process, three Clios amidst numerous other awards. Uh, in television, he was executive producer and head writer of Sybil, starring Sybil Shepherd in the eponymous role there, when it won the Golden Globe for Best Comedy Series. And he held the same positions on Instant Ma on the Jeff Foxworthy Show, which I, I know a lot of you people will remember that. He wrote and directed the feature film The Six Wives of Henry LaFay, starring Tim Allen, Elisha Cuthbert, Andy McDowell, and Jenna Elfman. And other feature credits include Mr. 3000, which is a cool baseball comedy about second chances. If you ever get a chance, you should, uh, you should rent it from Netflix or wherever. And uh, Shrek the Third, which all of you know. And uh, he's uh, just come out with his first novel called Last Looks. It's going to be published by Dutton next week, I think, August 14th. Yes. And a sequel, Below the Line, is set to follow in 2019, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But uh, welcome to the podcast, Howard. Thank you for having me, Tom. My pleasure. Hey, you know, there's a, there's a term that is bandied around and, uh, a lot these days, and it's called uh, a showrunner. Now, I think a lot of a lot of people in LA know what that means, but what can you explain what that is because you were a bona fide showrunner. I was a bona fide showrunner, I was. Uh it's sort of the uh television analog of the director uh in in movies. That is ultimately you're in charge of everything. And usually and and then even the directors on the episodes report to you. And usually a showrunner comes up on the writing side because, of course, the biggest difference between TV and movies is just the, the volume, the amount of material that you Right. Use, especially back in the network days when you were doing over 20 episodes a year. Right. Uh, right. But, but you're, you're in charge of everything. You're in charge of editing. You're in charge of casting. You're in charge of putting together a writing staff and, and generating all those scripts. Uh, if the actors don't get along with each other, that ends up falling in your lap, too. Oh, Encouraged to do their best work. Right. 
pray. So what you really want, uh, and you're getting deeper than I expect you to go here on this, what you, you really want is to be uh, to be someone whose first instinct is to say yes. That if somebody comes, if a costume designer comes to you with something they're excited about, right? you know, better to try to wrap your mind around it rather than go right to, oh, no, 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 I wanted this other thing. Right. Because exactly. anybody who's done creative work knows that if you have somebody who just keeps overriding you and your job is just to guess at what they want, it ends up sapping your energy. Right, and yeah. Gotta, so, uh, go ahead. No, no, that's fine. We can talk over each other. It happens all the time. Yeah, it's sort of a nurturing thing. To, uh, you know, I can see that. I mean, that's probably, I'm sure that's the best way to work. I, I, you know, I've often thought that with bosses I've had, too. So yeah. that's true. Hey, um, what components, since you were a showrunner, of being a showrunner were you, like, better or maybe a little worse at? Do you have any stories you could tell? Oh, about? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'd like to think that a thing I was good at was uh, – building and uh, nurturing a writing staff and, and getting the best out of all of them, I think, because that's that's what I came up doing. Uh, but nobody's great at everything. And I guess one thing I always felt like I was especially bad at <laughs> was arguing with the censors, <laughs> the standards and practices people. I used to hate that part of my job. If there was something that they were calling about that they didn't like or coming to see me that they didn't like. I felt like I was especially bad at turning them around. I remember once on the Fox Network, which you would think was sort of anything goes, yeah. but I could not even convince the lawyer that uh, the jackass was not part of the body. <laughs> was that like a Johnny Knoxville thing, or was there just a... No, no, this was way before Johnny Knoxville. Oh, man. So this was just the term Definitely. jackass. Yeah, then we had said ass somewhere else in the script, and then we had jackass also, and they said, you can't say ass twice. You can't talk about the ass twice. I'm like, this is a donkey. This is not a part of the body, but I love that one. Oh, my God. It reminds me of the old Hayes office bureau stories of that from the 30s in the, in, in, yeah. you know, back in the in Hollywood where, I mean, yes. oh, my God. It was surreal. Jackasses are in bed. Uh, they have to have one foot each on the floor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, you spent many years getting paid to write screenplays and TV pilots. <laughs> That weren't picked up, which is, you know, the, the standard practice in Hollywood. There's a lot of that. And uh, I assume the downside of that was, you know, huge frustration. But was there ever an upside to that? Or how, how did you sort of pull <laughs> out? I, I was getting paid. Yeah, okay, that's a I big could, upside. I could, you know, I have three kids, and we put them all through college. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I think... Probably the, the the sort of slow build upside was that I just got better at my craft, uh -huh. you know. And, and, and it's, it, these things come about either you go and pitch something, uh, and that was usually how it would start in TV, or on the movie side, it was usually that they had some project, a rewrite or an adaptation of a book or a remake of right. a movie, and they had read enough of my other screenplays to, to feel like I was somebody who could do this well and right. generally what I would experience is that they'd love it and then there would be the next step of the process which was trying to get a director trying to get an actor and right. as soon as you bring somebody else in and they have different opinions and often they may have they may have another writer they want to work with or uh -huh. just want to throw their weight around by getting the studio to hire another writer 
right. or they stick with you and then everything's going great and then they get offered another movie that's a go and jump off the project and the thing sort of uh, falls apart. So sort of you could, yeah. yeah, if you could keep making a living because, you know, one project by project, you're impressing the people who are going to be hiring next time and they have a good time working with you, good experience. But after a while, it's it's just sort of luck, you know, and and you're hoping that you're gonna throw a seven and yeah, you yeah. get a movie made and things are gonna get better. But if if you just keep rolling fours and nines and <laughs> it doesn't go, yeah, uh, you know, after a while you start wondering what you got into this business for because I didn't get into it just to pay my bills. I got into it because I wanted to make it. Yeah, exactly, which uh, leads me, uh, you know, is the perfect launching pad for the next question. Was there a pivot point when you said enough of this? I'm going to pursue writing original material that, you know, I love, that's meaningful to me, and that kind of exists outside of that treadmill where, where there's rejection or there's, you know, a million different, you know, kind of question marks that enter in or, or potential things that can happen that can just derail a project. Uh, there actually was, it was a specific point. Um, wow. I, I've been, I've been, I'm knocking wood here, a, a, a fairly healthy guy of today's slight laryngitis notwithstanding. Uh, I, and I, I was, uh, but I had like 15 years ago, I had uh, a, a complicated appendicitis and was in and out of the hospital for about a month. And I had this sort of sickbed realization not the usual one that I'm not spending enough time with my family because as a screenwriter, they were seeing way too much from me. <laughs> <laughs> really, and you have little Garrett in the house or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I had dinner with them. That was the nice thing about moving to TV to movies. I had dinner with my family every night for the whole, <laughs> the kids' childhoods, which was great. Nice. But, but I realized that though I was at the time a, a hot screenwriter, that I had come up as a playwright, but I had gotten into a, a place where I had not written anything original, fully original, in six years. And the hope was that I would direct uh, something myself, because I realized in features, just as in TV, to, to really be able to get your projects made, as I was able to a little bit more in TV, you needed to be kind of on their books as a legitimate showrunner. And I knew I needed to do that as a director on the feature side. Basically, that turned into uh, a whole new treadmill where <laughs> I keep getting close, uh, and then one way or another, things would fall through. Yeah. And uh, so that that became a whole new chunk of my uh, career and a new set of frustrations without the paycheck. Right. Oh, geez. Well, you know. I was going to say thank God for appendicitis, but I don't know now what that <laughs> last stuff you said. Hey, you mentioned that several projects you worked on, you mentioned once to me that you you worked on Made You Smile. You you, you know, obviously have great memories of them. Uh, but one or two, I think, gave you chest pains. Can you elaborate on any of that, or do you want to plead the fifth? I mean, either is okay. Well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say one because it, it just comes out of what we were talking about. So after three different times, going into early prep on two different movies where we had stars attached and, and financing and little money getting spent, and it would fall through. So that was my life for a number of years. And then I, you know, I don't want to complain too much about that because then I would take a, a you know, a, a good paying production rewrite or something that would get us through the year. But I finally got a movie made, uh, a pure independent, uh, you've mentioned it, Six Wives. 
disguised that, yeah, disguised of Henry Lefay. Right. right. Yeah, where Alicia Cuthbert was really the lead. Tim Allen was the second lead. He plays her father, who dies at the beginning of the movie, and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a it's a it's a very indie comedy of comedy drama about uh, death and a father and daughter reconciliation and troubled history and all that. And uh, I and a bunch of other good people, Andy McDowell and Jenna Elfman, and, uh, sure, 10 other actors you would know. I won't go through all the names. And making it was a great experience, but I, I got involved with some really bad people. And the movie was, uh, let's say, not built for art. All right. And or for then, commerce, yeah. Yeah, well, and and not commerce is, is a very polite name for. <laughs> we always try to we always try to be polite, but you know our interviewees can then take it from there and do whatever they want. With it. And and then and then the, the people who were really shady got pushed off, but the people whose money it was brought in uh, a new uh, bunch of people who were not shady, but they were really not competent and had no experience. And it it turned into a a nightmare where all these various, I think, knaves and fools is how I put it on my website, (laughs) ended up uh, suing each other and fighting over the edit. And I, at one point, got locked out of the editing room so that a a car dealer and a personal injury lawyer could recut the movies. (laughs) Great. Oh, jeez. Oh and my then God. I got back in, and it, but in the end, the settlement of the lawsuit was that it. Uh, well, there were several lawsuits, I think, but it, but and I was not party to any of them, but it it just made me completely helpless. And their settlement ended up uh, involving dumping the movie to home video back when that was not cool yet. Right. And right. In in the last bad edit, so it runs more often than you would expect on Showtime. But and it's mostly my scenes, but they're in the wrong order. Oh, so the movie's lousy. So and and I basically invested two two and a half years of my career in that because, as I described, I, I felt I needed to get on the books as a director to be able to make more. Right. And right. instead, that completely derailed me, and just at the worst time because when that all finally settled down, it was the very beginning of 2009. So in other words you know, right at the worst moment of the economic crash and right, right. changing and oh, all that. Boy. Oh, boy. So that's, that's, I'm getting the chest pains now telling you. Oh, 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 my God. You know, <laughs> let's, well, let's move on to something else. Happy get day. a fibrillator. Oh, jeez. <laughs> hey, you know, there's an old joke that dying is easy and comedy is hard. You know, how? and you're a comedy writer. Uh, how challenging is it writing comedy for TV? I mean, you did it with, I think, The Civil Show and Jeff Foxworthy. I mean, you could really speak to this, I'm sure, our listeners well, here. You know, they're, they're, I, I guess it depends what you come from. I came from uh, writing plays, so I had some sense of telling stories. There are comedy writers who come in really as joke people and maybe more facile and and funnier uh, than me, and, and then they bring a different thing to it. Uh, the beauty of it is that it's done collectively, usually. Very few of those shows, even though you'll see written by one name, they're not somebody going off on their own and doing it. It's usually a bunch of people in the room. Often, 
to work out the story in great detail, and then someone goes up and writes a draft and brings it back, and then everybody works together in a very, very heavy rewrite. That's sort of the typical thing. And the person who went off and wrote that first draft gets that written by credit on the show, yeah. sort of by tradition. Right. That, that collaboration, sitting daily in a room with, you know, four, eight, twelve very funny people is just a wonderful experience. And, and they're, they're, when, when you're in a show where that's happy and you're sitting there laughing all day, I mean, you're going home with that sort of body exhaustion from laughing. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. Sometimes. And, you know, and, they, and they're paying us. <laughs> and, if, and if the show's good, and I think it's, I mean, I, I, that's, that's fairly ideal and rare. Uh, I've been kind of lucky because once I became a showrunner, which we're going back to 1995 now, all my years in television after that, which were about, I don't know, five, six, seven years, sort of scattered over the, the ensuing years, uh, I was in charge, and so I had a lot to do with sort of setting the culture of the show in the room. Yeah, right. Often, often, you know, what you were talking about, uh, that, that sort of not-so-benevolent dictator <laughs> showrunner it can be not fun, or you're getting clobbered from outside is the other thing that normally happens, which right. is uh, either a star or the studio or the network or somebody is just bombarding you with notes and sowing chaos uh, by being too demanding or, or micromanaging in some way. Right. But when it's good, when it's working, that's wonderful. And a bunch of my favorite Hollywood friendships, if you could call them that, are with writers who... I've stayed in touch with and stayed close to in the years since. That's great. I mean, how do you know when a comedy that you've written is really landing? I mean, this is what's your personal barometer before, say, an audience files in or whatever? I mean, is there is there some intrinsic thing where you just know you have an innate knowledge that this line is going to kill or this scene or whatever? I would assume you do at this point. I mean, you've been, uh, you know, you're you're a pro and you're a veteran and you know what's good and what isn't. Like I say, since so so much of it is uh, group written. If somebody comes up with something that really makes the room laugh on the spot, that's going to be a good sign, right? Okay. Uh, right. Then it's going to be different when it's in some actors' mouths. Uh, right. You know, some so there are actors who can make thing you know jokes that are a three sound like an eight. Yeah, and then there are actors who make your eight sound like a three. Yeah, that's very true. I've seen that on stage a lot. Like, if you get a great character actress or actor you, you, and give them a little bit of business, they can just, they can wend it into gold, you know? I mean, and, yeah. and you know, something that you never thought was funny or or that had anything to it, but you're right. Yeah, I mean, boy, when you get to work with one of those geniuses like, uh, you know, Christine Baranski on Sybil or yeah. John Michael Higgins, whom I've worked with, many times who mm -hmm. does the audiobook of, of my new oh. novel that, that are just yeah. truly, truly gifted comic actors they are. to really elevate them. But to answer your question, you do get several on an audience show, which is mostly what I've done. You know, multi-camera, the ones where you hear the audience laughing, which right. is, by the way, people call that a laugh track. It's, I guess it, it is in the sense that it's a track, but it's, it's not usually what you're thinking of somebody there 
creating those with dial. Right, they're legitimate labs. Legitimate audience, right. You know, you go through a process during the week. You do a table read of of everybody involved with the show in a room, and the actors read it, and then you hear what works and what doesn't. And then you rehearse, and you do a run-through, and everybody comes to the stage and watches them go from set to set and do the show, and you see what works and what doesn't. So you generally get two or three uh, diagnostic opportunities to Mm -hmm. see what jokes work and what don't. And since it was always my MO, unlike some other showrunners, there are showrunners who are just sort of rewriting whole cloth episodes, rewriting new stuff in the middle of production week, so that in in a sense they're putting the most recent first draft in front of the audience. Mm -hmm. I would try to lock in the story as early as we could and make big changes only when something was dire and instead fine-tune. So that by the time we got to the audience, I would know pretty well. I would feel pretty confident we were going out there with jokes that, that don't work. And then you have your editing opportunity, too, right? So if the show is supposed to be 21 minutes long, and you're generally shooting 24, 25-minute episodes, that lets you tighten up the laughs and the take yeah. the air out of it, but it also lets you snip out a couple that doesn't really land. Yeah, right. No, that sounds good. I mean, what what uh, from all your years in the business, what, what is the single best piece of advice you were ever given, or one that you might give to a showbiz aspirant that you know about breaking into the business? I mean, and I, you must, I, I'm sh- you must get this question, you know, often or at least sometimes from you know young people in Hollywood and uh, you know that want to, you know, they're right on the the verge of trying to you know figure out a way yeah, into this yeah. incredibly tough business. It really is tough, and and breaking in at all, uh, let alone building sort of a steady career that, that can support your life, let alone becoming tremendously successful, those are all uh, a function of three things, uh, luck, talent, and hard work. And you just have to realize early and, and build your life around the idea that you can only control one of those. Yeah, yeah. You good. can't well, control but... how much talent you were handed. You can't really control the luck that you have, but you can work as hard as you can and put yourself in the best position to do it. Right. That's great. That's I, I you know, it's very good. Now, hey, your debut novel, Last Look, yes. it comes out August fourteenth. And it has, no small surprise, a Hollywood kind of pedigree. Yeah, tell us a bit about it. Yeah, give us sort of a a sketch about what this book is about. Uh, it's about, it's, an, it's a, the launch of a new detective series, mm-hmm. and I can actually put it that way because Dutton's bought the second book and they're planning to bring it out uh, next summer. That's fantastic. Uh, it's a, it's a, a detective who was a hotshot uh, LAPD uh, officer who had something go terribly awry in his career and came to doubt everything he had done and all the choices he made and sort of, uh, as, as he said, doesn't just burn bridges, he burns the river and <laughs> goes off and, and, and moves to Idlewild, which is a yeah. town about 100 miles uh, on, uh, up a mountain, 100 miles from L.A. That's right. I think it burned it, up it, last it, week or something. Yes, that's right. It was, it, it was, yes, that was really terrible, but they managed to save it, which was kind of miraculous. Yeah, that's 
You know, I didn't notice that. What are you gulping your uh, your peace coffee now? I I I, I am. I, well, it's iced tea I drink, and I got my own right. glass, and I I have Good a glass instead of using the plastic. But you can do little things like that, and, and yeah. I got rid of a, a bunch of my things. But I thought, what if instead of somebody who was sort of enthusiastic about being better, what if it was somebody who was obsessive? And then, yeah, like well, Ergo Waldo. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, and that's how I got to Waldo. So I designed it as a TV series, and we went out and pitched it, and the pitch was so strong that at CBS, they actually applauded at the end of the pitch. I've never had that in my career. Man. And then they passed. (laughs) Because because they said at the time, we do police, we don't do private eyes. Okay. And so I put it away, and then somebody came to me and said, you know, we'd love for an independent movie group and said if you happen to have a detective with some comedy we think you could write that really well uh we'll give you a little money against the back end kind of you know deal and i said boy i got this character that i'm not doing anything with let me come up with a case for him and i wrote the movie and it was really hard to do uh because i wanted to make it a legitimate chandler-esque right right you know complex plot and with real noir yeah. Elements, but the mandate had been to be funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I, it was really a challenge. But when I got to the end, I thought this is one of the best things I've ever written. And we kept almost getting it made. We had different actors attached, and uh, but it kept just falling short. And I thought, well, maybe this is because they don't make many detective movies anymore. They're kind of small compared to what studios do. Right. And they're kind of a little more commercial than what the pure, ultra-low-budget indie kind of things we see are. Sure. Uh, but they do put out a lot of detective novels. And so I had That's the That's where the light bulb went off. Okay. Yeah. And I said, let me try and do this. I don't really know if I have the talent for this or the skills. Like I said, I hadn't written fiction in over 30 years. Yeah, narrative fiction, sure. And so I, I did it, and it sold right away to a top oh, publisher yeah, and, and here we go and that's now that's what I'm doing with the great bulk of my time just keeping a toe in TV and movies and hopefully the movie version of this is going to get made I was I was going to ask you well. about that yeah that uh, you you've, you wrote the screenplay based on the book last looks and now what's right. the status of that is it uh, can you can you talk about that at all? Or? Yeah, I will. I, I'm, I'm going to hold back on, on naming names. You guys can put this up on the website if it becomes real news in the next couple of weeks. Okay. I'm from the producer. But uh, we do have a director, and we have three actors, and we have a, a terrific producer. Him I'll mention because this is out there already. His name is Andrew Lazar, and he's the lead producer on this. He's got 20 movies he's known, including American Sniper. You know, oh. so he's a very successful uh, producer of both uh, studio and indie movies. And, and he slowly packaged this and is now putting the financing together. And if all of that holds up and all yeah. the deals make and everything, that we could be uh, announcing this quite soon and shooting as early as this fall. Oh, boy, that's great. Yeah. Oh, well, let's knock wood on that. Yeah, knocking something. I mean, I've been so close to so many things so many times. And yeah. So many, you know, the, the bulk of them fall through, but the book is real, so maybe... The yeah, oh, well, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I mean, how do you, uh, I guess, how do you weather sort of fallow periods? Because 
you know, you're you're in there pitching and it's hard work. You say, you know, you mentioned the transient kind of things, the, uh, you know, luck and the talent bit of it. But, you know, there are a lot of fallow periods in Hollywood where, you know, you're just sort of, you know, if not, you know, spinning your wheels, you're, the wheels are spinning, you know, regardless. And how do you weather that, those, those downtimes when, you know, you're just trying to get a project or you're waiting on something? Is there, do you have a technique or do you have a, something that keeps your equilibrium intact? Well, you know, the great thing for a writer is that you can write every day. Yeah. Right. You know, it's uh, for for an actor or for a director, that all must get much more maddening and feel that much more helpless. That's uh, for for a writer, the only difference is, am I getting paid today or am I doing this in hopes that it's going to get me paid in some form at some right. point? And and sort of the, the if you look at it that way, the balance to 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 sort of overgeneralize, but it's basically true. Uh, what you're getting paid for, what you know you're going to be paid for, is, for someone like me at least, usually a little less interesting than the work that I'm not getting paid for. Yeah, right. So you just sort of look at the positive of whichever it is, you know? Right. You do it as a, as a, as a legitimate bread gig, and you, you try and bring your very best to whatever the thing is that they want. And that's one thing. And the other days you're working on something that you're just trying to make as good as you possibly can. Right. The tougher right. time is for, for me is, and I'm unfortunately a little bit past this now, but, and, and, and I was very fortunate for many years that this work sort of chased me more than I chased work. But I had a stretch after that movie went bad and after the economy went bad when I did have to sort of go chase jobs, you know, so, so that you weren't getting paid, <laughs> yeah, you were right. working to try to get paid, and yeah. that could become kind of uh, soul-crushing. Yeah. But what turned out, what ended up happening, Tom, and I feel incredibly lucky, it was just so wonderful, is that even during that period, I sort of uh, kept a balance of, okay, here's stuff I'm getting paid a little bit to do. Here's stuff that I might get paid more for, so it's worth investing the time for them. And then here's stuff that I'm writing just because it's the best thing that I can write. And hopefully that's going to pay off. And in a delayed sort of way, because I, I had a TV show go, and I did three years of the TV show, which was a lot of fun and sort of got my back uh, away from the wall right. financially. But when I came out of that, all of those things that I had uh, worked on because I loved them the most, where I got paid nothing or very little up front, they've all sort of started to come to fruition now, including this in the form of the book. Yeah, right, right. So Which my, is my so plate, gratifying, yeah, absolutely. It's terrific. It's terrific. So, you know, my plate right now is this book coming out, the next book in revisions, you know, the, the editorial work, which is pretty light, but you've got yeah. to do it, getting the next one of these books going, yeah. uh, and one TV project and one movie project, and those are, all of these things are, are based on things that I was uh, working on during what you would call, based on your question, a fallow period. Fallow period, right, right, right. So there really isn't a fallow period. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Howard, thanks so much. We're uh, we're gonna let you go uh, back to uh, drinking iced tea and um, you know working on maybe the third novel in the series. I don't know. Yeah. You know or... Okay, that's what I'm on. 
Yeah, and keep us posted on uh, on what's going on, especially with the you know with the book when it comes when it comes out, and then the the movie, and maybe we'll post some stuff on the site, keep people updated on the, on the progress. And thanks so much for taking time out to talk with us. On sure, happy to. Very good. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Modern Times Magazine Hooray for Hollywood podcast starring Tom Johnson. To reach Tom, visit moderntimesmagazine.com and click on Contact Us.